Welcome to another Dragonland Saga review episode. It is Misham Gildember the 19th. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my review of the <laughs> Atlas of the Dragonlands World by Karen Wynne Fondstadt. Now, I'd like to take a moment and thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the links in the description below. You can even pick up Dragonlands gaming materials using my affiliate links. Okay, so because this is not a novel, it's a source book, uh, and it's really just released like with the uh, leaves from the end of the last home source book it's just sort of a, an accent to the existing dragonlance game supplements there's no other real reason unless you're just a novel reader and you just want to sort of indulge you know yourself with the maps of uh, where the companions went throughout the course of the chronicles and legends novels which does tie in directly with this, so it would make sense if that was the case as well. In either case, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. If you happen to join live, that's awesome. Give me a shout out in the chat. Let us know what you think about this atlas. Do you have a favorite map? Uh, do you think it was uh, maybe not as uh, inclusive as you would like it to be with uh, different locations and different diagrams of buildings and such? Let me know. Let me know your thoughts. Anyway. So this was originally published in October 1987 by TSR. Uh, again, it's by Karen Wynne Fodstadt. Now, Karen had earned an MA in geography, specialized in cartography from the University of Oklahoma. And before she even got around to doing this, she'd already created the Atlas of Middle-Earth in 1981, the Atlas of Pern in 1984, the Atlas of the Land in 1985. I don't even know what that means. And then, of course, Tracy Hickman was obsessed with her Atlas of Middle-Earth. And uh, so when he found out that she was going to be involved with Dragonlance and doing this project, he was super stoked. Now, she would go on to create one more atlas after this for TSR called the Forgotten Realms Atlas. And that would be released in 1990. Hey, Renan, how you doing? Never been able to find an original copy of this one. I had, <laughs> along with a lot of other Dragonlance books the original of this and I gave it to a friend who then subsequently gave it to another friend and so alas my copy is gone I had to get it in pdf form which you can get in the link below or the link I guess in the description below if I updated it correctly which I did not <laughs> so I'll have to update that doggone it I thought I had it all updated I was totally wrong yeah the description of this I totally shit the bet on that so oops um at least people loved it. Yeah, people did love this totally. Okay, so now this is a cartographer's illustrated point of view, and it focuses largely on the novels of the world and the places visited within the novels. So much so that later on we'll, we'll sort of talk about how it highlights pathways from the novels and stuff. Um, now, the foreword was by Tracy Hickman, and I thought it was really funny because Tracy Hickman was saying in the foreword of this that his job was to edit the names and places and make sure that it was all spelled correctly, but it ended up being Karen who edited him and made the names correct. And yet, at the very beginning of this book, I found misspellings of the Carolized Mountains. Two people supposedly correcting each other, and neither of them got it right until later in it. A little odd, but... And it's the first thing you're reading, too which kind of blows my mind. Sometimes I don't think editors actually read. At least not for TSR, they didn't. 
All right, so this was building on the success of Dragonlance Chronicles and the Dragonlance Legends novels, of course. Other releases this year also included The Leaves from the In the Last Home, which I reviewed last week. And in February, I'm sorry, that was February of 1987. And The Art of the Dragonlance Saga, which I'm reviewing next, which was originally released in 1987 as well in April. Um, again, this is sort of a complimentary to the sole role-playing release of the year of Dragonlance Adventures, which was also released in 1987, uh, published in September. And this was considered the end of the Dragonlance line. They did the map, uh, Atlas of the Dragonlance World, Leaves from the End of the Last Home, Art of the Dragonlance Saga, and Dragonlance Adventures, rounding out Dragonlance, Advanced Sons of Dragons 1.5 edition. And that was it. They were done. However, the audience kept clamoring for novels and so TSR kept putting out novels and then the audience started clamoring for more Dragonlance content and then when second edition started getting planned they you know planned out Talada's in the time of the Dragon Box set and then when that shit the bed they released the Tales of the Dragon Box set which brought Dragonlance back to Ancelon so at the time that this was released this was really seen as the end of whatever Dragonlance would ever be it was completed with all the DL modules, with all of the novels released thus far, and these source books. And I think it's interesting that they say that, because this actually suggests the island of, or the, the continent of Talidas, along with some of the, like, Leaves from the End of Last Home, also suggested the island of Talidas. So I don't know if they were just planting seeds for what-ifs, you know, allowing home gamers to build out their own Dragonlance adventures around the world, similar to what Dragonlance Nexus did with um, Atlatum, Atlantum, Atlatum, <laughs> whatever it was. They did a whole continent. So similar to that, or if they really did, or if they were really thinking about Talada's and the Time of the Dragon Box set as early as 1.5 edition, which I would be shocked if that were the case because they were going bankrupt. <laughs> But no one except for Lorraine knew that. Um, so who knows, really. But in either case, we got this. Okay, so uh, this combined material from all of the sources on Kryn and also debuts maps for locations that had previously been described only textually. And one of those um, that I found wildly different than any maps that I recall, even though there are maps in the module, was um, Dragon Mountain. Like, the shape of Dragon Mountain is all the same and stuff, but they included a bunch of other locations that were uh, geographically tied to it. And I don't recall in the novel them ever addressing Huma's tomb separate from the Dragon Mountain itself, but it was in this map. And I don't recall them talking about, like, this other sort of... Um, I just read this and now I can't even remember it. I should have made a note. Uh, this other sort of knight's... Um, uh, pathway that was just never really addressed in the novels, but was included in this. And so I find it interesting that while all of this content was vetted, there's still a few surprises for people who feel like they have a solid grasp of the Chronicles and Legends, like me. I feel like I might know one or two things about it, but clearly I'm still learning as I read every single uh, uh, manual and book and etc. novel and stuff. Now, what's interesting is I have owned this since it came out, like years and years ago, but I had never literally read it from cover to cover. And I did that with a lot of books back in the day, to be fair. Unless it was a novel, 
or like an anthology. Um, like the game books, I never read them cover to cover. It's only now in my adult age when I'm reviewing them for you know the, the channel here that I've ever <laughs> read any of these source books cover to cover, which is an interesting experience because it does have a bunch of really interesting little notes and thoughts. By the end of this source book, I was getting bored with reading all these little explanation notes. I felt like I was reading one of my own reviews, which sucks because it's, it's literally just descriptive text. And on the other side of the wall is a pantry and the pantry leads into the foyer and the foyer, you know, that type of stuff. And you're just like, really? Like that's the, that's the copy that you want to present to the audience? the most mundane, banal information that they could just glean by looking at the pretty illustration that you have right next to the text. Seems like that would be the choice to go. Oh, and the Glitter Palace. Wildly different than I imagined it to be with different tests that are addressed in the modules but never even mentioned in the novels itself. So, and, and that's really the huge disparity. If you've only ever read the novels and you never explored the modules, then you're missing on the majority of Dragonlance information because they didn't include it in the novels. They intentionally excluded it from the novels so that those playing the modules had surprises and could explore different areas and had freedom of choice, which is why it always shocks me when people say that Dragonlance modules were railroads. <laughs> what? They had so many options, I couldn't believe it. Hey, Jason, how you doing, man? Hey, Anna, thanks for tuning in. Okay, so, um, what else? Where was I? Oh, the maps describing them textually. Okay, so uh, it even had them following the course of the novels and adventures, and it also gives some very abstract attention to the planar realms, like the abyss and the celestial realm. Uh, and then it finally depicted the pathways of the Dragonlance Chronicles and Legends series. So initially it breaks it up by north, south, east, and west geographic regions. And it describes, and it starts in the south because that's where the Chronicle starts in Abanasinia and Solace. And so it just starts describing the major areas and showing you maps of those areas and of the building structures and such. Even Tika's house, where they go and hide in at the very beginning of the novel of Dragons of Bond Twilight. Um, it talks, you know, shows you all the maps of the Inalaf's home. Uh, and then it you know, talks about them going to Zaxaroth, and there's this beautiful map breakdown of Zaxaroth. Gives you a real three-dimensional uh, understanding of it, if you ever really only played like the DOS or Nintendo version of uh, um, Dragons of Bond Twilight and you had to explore Zaxaroth and you you were just it's like Nintendo you're just going through doors and it opens up new you know side scrolling pathways you have no real understanding of the geographic breakdown of this truly groundbreaking and amazing dungeon that Zaxaroth was this does a wonderful job of illustrating it and and really adding so much more than just the module map had and that's the strength of this, because when, you, when we sort of reflect on Dragonlance in this era, in the uh, AD&D 1.5 edition era, it didn't have maps. Like the modules had module-specific maps, but the DLA Adventures source book didn't have any maps. It had like a pre- and post-cataclysm map, but there was nothing else. And so the only way you really understood the entire lay of Ancelon's land is if you pick this bad boy up. And so most people did. <laughs> but it's, it's weird that 
it didn't have any maps. You know, I never really thought about it until I was sort of doing this. Anyway, so a few years later, TSR would uh, publish a somewhat less ambitious map, of course, after this release of TM3, the World of Kryn Trail Map, released in 1989, which was garbage. <laughs> it was just this tiny little fold-out map as if it was in your glove compartment, your glove box in your car, and you were just going to like unfold it like that and look at different maps and stuff. Really garbage. I don't know why they even did it, to be honest. Probably just make a few bucks, but it was, it was garbage. All right, so the, the way it sort of sets up the map itself in each of the sections, whether it's talking about the geography, the climate, the population, etc., it does a really good job of presenting a pre-cataclysm and a post-cataclysm perspective of it. So that's all the setup before it actually gets into the maps and stuff. And things that I found interesting was that it describes Ancelon as 960 miles from Nordmar to Icewall Castle, going north to south, and 1,320 miles going east to west from Sankris to the Korean Ocean. And that really gives you the scale of Dragonlance. Now, of course, when Tales of the Lands box set for second edition of Ancelon's Dragons comes out, that changes. And that was one of the changes that people sort of pumped their fists in the air shouting at TSR about, because why are you changing the geography? But I love how it's just broken down with that context. Instead of just showing a map and just showing a legend saying, you know, this hex equals X miles, it gives you the full scope of it. And it gives you the time scale difference. So the time zone difference. It doesn't tell you the time zones, but it says from Sylvanost to Salamnia, there is a four-hour time difference. Never in any product have I read did it describe the actual time zone difference. Now, time zones are only a thing if you're actively communicating from one side of the continent to another. The only people who could ever possibly do that would be wizards. And so I would imagine that the Towers of High Sorcery would understand this and they would have some sort of reference for where the time zones break down or along geographical borders and, and stuff like that. But for your average person who literally never leaves more than a 10 mile square radius of wherever you live, you would never need to know that. Because <laughs> like, all you know is farming and seasons. You don't need to know what time of day it is in Sylvanesty for the elves that want nothing to do with you in the first place. So I thought that was kind of cool. You love this book. Uh, you had a copy for 20 years. Nice. Nice. Thanks for uh, joining live. Jeevsorceris? I, th I think is exactly how you pronounce that. <laughs> Sorry if I messed it up. All right. So, um, yeah, the, the only real errors I found was the Kerala. They, they spelled it Coralis rather than Carolis. And I pronounce it Carolis because I don't care. <laughs> so it was just weird that they had two references of the Coralis range right after Tracy Hickman says that he was corrected in all the spellings. It was sort of ironic. Um, but yeah, and the fact that Talidas was not named, but it was referenced in Lisa the Nesthone and this atlas before it was ever developed. So my favorite maps really have to be um, Skullcap. I think Skullcap's a great little dungeon. I think Zach Saroth is a mad majestic dungeon and, and as like a, a beginning adventure too. Like that is the first dungeon you go into once you start this wonderful story in the Dragonlance saga. So I think that is a great, great one. I loved seeing the little details like Tika's home layout 
and stuff so that you, when you are running it or whether you're playing it and your DM can then have a reference and he can either draw it out for you or he can just show you the diagram and say, oh, this is where you are right now and stuff. Because if you, you got to kind of remember that first edition of Vance Dungeons and Dragons was pretty much theater of the mind. I mean, they had rules for miniatures, but at that time, there wasn't a lot of miniatures out there. And so you had your tiny, weird little lead figurines that TSR released that didn't really stand up that well. And, you know, you were just sort of, you know, you sort of suggested to make your own little cardboard stand-up ones. In Tales and Lags box set, they actually included little cardboard, like perforated cutout figurines that you could then use. They're little trifolded stand-up figures which is kind of silly and ridiculous, but it was kind of cool that they also included it because, again, there weren't a lot of minis out there for you to use. Um, and I really appreciated that. You don't really remember the maps when you were reading the books, maybe in each book, to give us, you an idea of the layout of the land. Yeah, I mean, I, I, they should have done a lot more maps. Uh, I like, at the beginning of the novels, they'll give you a map of the geographic area that the novel is covering, generally. You know, not every book did that. Um, and the modules gave you maps of relevant areas pertaining to the novel. But other than that, you were kind of SOL, which is kind of weird. You had to pick up all of the modules. Like um, DL5, Dragons of Mystery, was a the first version of a source book, and it had the entire continent. And then later on in DL11, the Dragons of Glory, which was the strategic um, war simulation game that they released, that had a massive map in it as well, which is really cool. So they were out there. It's just it wasn't all culminated into one seamless bundle like this was when it was released. And so it pretty much made it invaluable. And the fact that, you know, the author of this, the creator, uh, Karen Wynne Fonstad, is such a beautiful cartographer. And that because, you know, that sort of epic fantasy story of Middle Earth with the Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit... At the time, that was the standard, and she had done that atlas. And so to have her come over and do Dragonlance's, put Dragonlance on the same level as Middle-Earth for a lot of role-players. I mean, Middle-Earth was a role-playing game. I played that with my buddy, uh, who I also played first edition with, in the same era, if memory serves. So, you know, they were very much competing IPs, and Dragonlance was just elevated because of the artwork, because of the storytelling, because of the maps. I mean, it all just brought it all up to a, a level that if they would have treated it like Greyhawk, which I personally think is garbage, uh, if they treated it like Greyhawk, I don't think it would have got as much interest, like at all. So, but whatever. Greyhawk fans are going to shit all over me now. Have at it, Hoss. All right, and that is kind of it. You know, those are my favorite maps. This is the sort of story of this Atlas of the Dragonlance world. I mean, the fact is the Dragonlance world is called Kryn. So they could have said the Atlas of Kryn, but no one knows what Kryn is. At the time, people knew that logo, Dragonlance. And it's a beautiful logo. So why would you not use it, of course? And so I, I found that very interesting. And you can make the same thing argument about Middle Earth. If you weren't a gamer or a, a hardcore reader of fantasy, you probably didn't know what Middle-earth was. You may have heard of Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, but you wouldn't know the Middle-earth. So I thought that's a strange choice that they chose the maps of the, or the Atlas of Middle-earth rather than the Atlas of the Lord of the Rings because you want to 
cast as wide of a net as possible in order to get prospective consumers in. And to do that, you sometimes have to, you know, bend a little things, bend choices. Instead of Middle Earth, you do Lord of the Rings. Instead of Kryn, you do Dragonlance. So in either case, had a great time revisiting this. I can't wait to get into the Art of the Dragonlance saga, which is going to be next. I've got a book I'm going to read in between, but I'll get to it eventually, uh, probably next week or the week after. And that's kind of it. So thank you so much. That's it for my review of the Atlas of the Dragonlance World by Karen Wynne Fodstad. What did you think of its various maps for Dragonlance? Do you have a favorite map in the source book? And finally, have you ever referenced the maps in one of your role-playing games? You can email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I would like to remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, click that bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. All of that goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And of course, this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance saga. Thank you so much for joining in that celebration. So, my name is Adam. Until next time, Slan Javar.